when you see the rabbit pop out of the hole, run down the hedgerow, the bird misses by an inch, it goes down another hole, dog tracks it, goes right down that hole, shoots out of another hole, bird chases it again and catches it. You go, holy crap, like, we could just keep this hunt going until we catch what we're here to catch. The hunt doesn't have to end here. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Told Podcast. I hope everyone's seasons have been going well so far. I know mine's been off to a little bit of a slow start, but hey, that's the nature of the beast sometimes. I've still been enjoying running the dogs and getting out with buddies, so that's a huge part of it for me. So anyway, I hope everyone has been doing well so far, and I hope you all have been enjoying this Dachshund series as well as the Canada series. I mean, from the feedback that I've gotten from everyone so far, it sounds like everybody's been enjoying it for the most part. So thank you all again for continuing to listen. And uh, I've got a lot more cool stuff to come here in the coming weeks. So anyway, I have to give a quick shout out, as I usually do, to the people who support the podcast, being Baba Yaga Crafts from Poland. I'm excited to head to the NAFA meet tomorrow because we're going to get a meet for the first time in person since he's going to be there this week and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the other stuff that he's brought with him and anyone that's attending the meet that might hear this midweek or so go over and say hey to him check out some of the awesome stuff that he makes and uh, give him your support and uh, if you're interested in picking anything up this would be a great time since he's there in person and you won't have to worry about any shipping issues or anything like that coming from overseas and and you'll be able to instantly have the stuff in your hands before you leave. But if you're not able to attend, as always, you can find his contact info on our website at falconrytold.com, or you can hit him up at Baba Yaga Goshawk on Instagram. And, of course, I have to give a quick shout-out to Seth Roy of North Mountain Goshawks as well. If you're in the market for a new hunting partner, particularly maybe even a parent-reared goshawk for next season, definitely get on his list, hit him up, he makes some great game hawks, and I'm pretty sure that if you put in an order, get on that list, you won't regret getting your new hunting partner for next season. I've seen some of his birds fly, and they're really, really nice birds. So head to northmountaingoshawks.com and fill out that form on the homepage there, and he'll get back with you, or you can just send him a message on Facebook. Either way, tell him you heard about him from the podcast here, and... I think it'll be a decision that you're very happy with. Okay, well, with this episode, we're continuing on with our Dachshund series. And before we get started, I have to give a very big thank you to our guest for this episode. Casey went above and beyond in helping make this series happen. Uh, He's another guy that without his help, I'm not sure if all of this would have come together so well. And... He even went so far as to help out with a lot of the travel expenses that were involved with this, and he also helped coordinate a lot of the people coming in and meeting up with me and stuff during the time that I was in Jersey. So big thank you to Casey Everett for his contribution to this series, and like I said, without his help, I'm not really sure that this would have turned out as cool as it has. So, you know, big thanks to him and also big thanks to the rest of the Jersey crew that helped contribute to this series as well. Like I said, they're a big reason why this all happened. And luckily you all will get to hear from many of them as this series continues. But I'm going to go ahead and just turn things over now to this conversation with Casey Everett. And I hope you all enjoy it. Here we go.
Yeah, you haven't had your cookie yet. No, okay. You need to have your cookie soon. Yeah. That thing was delicious. For anybody that's listening uh, doesn't know already, Double Tree Inn uh, gives you these amazingly delicious, soft, chewy uh, chocolate chip. I guess it's macadamia nut in there, too. I don't know. All I know is it was delicious, and it. I don't know how well it's mixing with uh, Kraken and Diet Coke, but, but I'm finding out. <laughs> But yeah, no man, this is a this is kind of a cool little get up. You know, it's another one of my refined setups here on the road. Um, but yeah, man, no, I'm go ahead and just do a quick cheers. You know, just want to say thanks for for helping me uh, make this happen and for getting me from the airport. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully this will be a, a good a good rest of the week, entertaining if nothing else. Oh, it's going to be entertaining, that's for sure. You know, I know pretty much from our conversations over the last one well, it's been probably what like two or three months or something now just kind of yeah. figuring out how to make all this stuff happen so yeah. probably about like april something well, something like that <laughs> something like that when we started talking about yeah. it and it just kind of kept going yeah and morphing and yeah. yeah yeah i think i think the catalyst for that of course was was um you know talking to you know our mutual acquaintance uh you know Teddy about you know oh, all yeah. the docs and stuff and you know kind of getting the the inspiration to to kind of bring that breed to the forefront and feature a lot of a lot of the great falconry that a lot of people have across the country you know with uh, with, with the little bundles of joy that that we all have come to know and love yep. <laughs> in in the form of dachshunds but but yeah now we'll get to that here here shortly but I want to go ahead and just kind of start off though. And, you know, for those of the people that haven't really seen a lot of your stuff on socials and all that kind of crap, um, you know, I mean, what in particular has been, I don't know, the flavor of the month for you for the last several years? I mean, has it been primarily, primarily like the goshawks or has it been just falconry as a whole? Or, I mean, is it, what's what's been the main thing that's kind of kept you going with all of this stuff for the last several years uh, i mean that's a great question i hear um you know different things even from my own sponsors who will be on this series as well um they're very old school they say to kind of keep to yourself don't flash it out in front of people um so i do hear different things but to answer your question What's keeping me going with my falconry throughout the last, <clears throat> I think this will be used my 18th season, uh, is just a psychotic <laughs> obsession with flying my birds and catching game. And uh, yeah, I've only been on social media for like maybe five years. Um, I mean, I had a Facebook forever. You know what I mean? Who doesn't? MySpace, whatever. Yeah, unfortunately. But I only, I, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, I only started posting like falconry content, you know, about five years ago. And um, it's been growing and people follow along. So now I just kind of just do it out of habit. I just film. I always kind of film my hunts, even on flip phones when I was a kid. And I mean, just to, just to add on top of that point of just the obsession, I mean, I would, when I was a child, I would ride my bicycle through my neighborhood like a weirdo with a red tail with a hood on to a patch of woods behind, you know, a school to catch some squirrels and then ride home. You know, so it, it didn't really have anything to do with anyone's um, opinion of me or any kind of presence that I had. I just, seeing my birds fly, seeing them catch game, seeing them be successful is my 1000% goal in my falconry. 
And that's all it comes down to. End of discussion. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And so, I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter, you know, as far as the species or whatever the case is. I mean, I, I've talked to several different guys that, you know, like, well, if if I don't get to see this 2000 foot, you know, long week and stoop or whatever. Like, I just, I don't think I could, you know, be this thrilled about it or whatever. So, I mean, I'm getting the the gist then that you're one of these dudes. It doesn't matter if it's a red tail, a goshawk or whatever, just as long as you're able to get out with your bird and, and pursue wild quarry with it and just, you know, kind of pursue what the broad term definition of falconry and the meaning behind it really is. And you're going to be, you're going to be happy doing it. Correct. Yeah. Just seeing, seeing any of these birds. I mean, that's, that is just the beauty of falconry as well. Is that, yeah, okay. I fly a goshawk. I catch game with it. I'm not special. A lot of people do that, but like, do my birds mantle sometimes? Yes. Is their behavior not perfect? Yeah. Sometimes it's not perfect. So it's like, flying goshawks for like six or seven years like i feel like i'm just scratching the surface on like perfecting that type of falconry so it's just like and we're not even talking about flying a peregrine or flying a a a red tail like i've flown red tails my whole life i feel like i kind of have it down but there's still like does your bird trade off smoothly a red tail is way harder to train off trade off than than a goshawk so it's like there's so many different birds. There's so many different avenues in terms of falconry that you can go as a young falconer listening, or even as an older falconer, there's like, you can never perfect all of it. And by the time you're perfecting one, you're losing your experience with the other. And you're going to have to brush, brush up on that flying a long wing or whatever the case may be. So I've been flying birds for 18 years. I've been a falconer for a long time, but I still feel like I'm learning. I'm on the phone with people every day my bird did this, my bird did that. So like, if anyone's commenting on my bird's behavior in my videos, like I'm, I'm on the phone before I even posted the video, the birds mantling, whatever, you know, the birds screaming, the hackles are up. Okay. And then my, my mentors are, how are the hackles? Okay. Is it how, how, when you say the bird is mantling, how mantling are we? Are we, is the tail really fanned or is it half fanned? How is she standing? So we're breaking down all these behaviors. And I just feel like flying goshawks and imprint goshawks, it, it just brings your level of attention to detail to another level. Um, and my sponsors were, they've been, you know, Paul and Phil Aaliyah, they were pushing me for a long time to, to fly goshawks and kind of like teasing me like, Hey, come on, fly, fly. So, you know, so I finally, I finally did. And, um, and yeah, it's just like, and it's, it's addicting. It's just like anybody who's flown a red tail and you're chasing squirrels, or you're chasing rabbits and you're in the course of your flight you see the flight, it's gorgeous, bird misses or whatever the case may be, what you imagine, what you wish the bird could do in your mind, get back up and keep chasing or power back up the tree to catch the squirrel. That's what the goshawk does. It does everything a red tail can just like times 10 in terms of speed, explosiveness and agility. It does come with its setbacks. There's all different, you know, you can argue back and forth all day long. Red tails, there's nothing, there's, there's very little that comes close to a badass red tail taking game. It, it, they hit so hard. Their personalities are a lot more suited for just the everyday falconer going out after work on the weekends. But a goshawk that is in the right frame of mind, trained correctly, entered correctly, that takes it to another level in my opinion. So, Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, 
<laughs> that's one of the interesting things. And I mean, you've been a, a listener of the podcast for a while too. I'm so. your biggest fan. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks for the support, man. Like I, you know, I, I'm sure though that you've heard me mention this several times that that's one of the things that I like about talking to so many people is that you hear all these different perspectives. Like I've never once so far, like you mentioned the whole, it's like, oh, it's so much harder for, you know, to trade a red tail off than a goss. I think that's going to largely depend on who you ask, man. <laughs> you, I don't know. You know, like it's so. My funny. personal experience tells me different. See, it's, it's, it's so funny because, you know, I mean, that there's always going to be people out there that are always going to have like a different frame of reference so or true. perspective. Yeah, you're right. I mean, just from my own experience and we can, that's all we can ever speak for is yeah. our own personal experiences yeah. and, and what we've witnessed ourselves. But I've seen a hell of a lot more Falconers get footed and have um, a little bit more of an issue trading off their goshawks, especially their, their imprint goshawks <laughs> than, uh, than say your, your average red tail. Um, I've of course seen, people be footed, you know, by both on an exchange or a trade off or whatever. Uh, I've still seen more people have issues with the gosses than the red tails. All that being said, that's just one minor example of, you know, these different perspectives that you hear talking from so many different falconers. And as yeah. you know, as you can't say enough falconers and their opinions, you know, oh, yeah. um, but that's, that's cool though. I mean, I mean, it's, it's cool though, that, that every falconer eventually finds that one little niche that gives them like that next step or that next level of like fulfillment though. Yeah. And it sounds like for you, like many other people, of course, many of which I know personally, like the goshawks just happen to be that for them. So for the audience reason. knows he rolled his eyes. Yeah. Slightly. Well, yeah, I did. I did roll my eyes because I, you know, it's, 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 it always ends up at a goshawk maybe for some reason. Maybe you should reason. try it and you'll know what we're all talking about. Well, you know, maybe it'll happen eventually, but someone has to keep the falconry portfolio <laughs> diversified in my group at home. Okay. That's funny. We, That's we, great. There's otherwise, I mean, there's always so many goss fields and so many people. I mean, I've, I joke with, uh, one, one of my buddies in particular, I texted him the other day and told him that I was making this trip and told him where we were going to end up going later this week and stuff. And, and I said, well, you never know. I mean, I'm, I might just come home with something new to experience. He's like, well, if it's got stripes or bands on its tail and it's gray, leave it where it was at. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what, what's, what's just one more. I mean, we already have 20 goshawks in our group. What's, what's yeah. 21 or whatever, you yeah, know, yeah. but uh, no, it's, it's an ongoing joke, a personal kind of joke in our, in our group or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, man, no, I mean, it's, it's cool though. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that, you're like a lot of these other guys and, and gals that I talk to that they end up finding, you know, cause what, what turns their crank because as I've mentioned before, and I'm sure you've heard me also say one of the traps that's easiest to fall into, especially when you're, when you're so young in a falconry career is wanting to, to find that so much that you start trying all these new things and sometimes you try too many things in too short a time and then you're, you're down the rabbit hole. And yeah. I mean, did you fall into that yourself? Of course. <laughs> of course. This, the, the, the second I got my general license, what did I do? 
I bet the audience is already saying it. Cooper Sock. Cooper Sock. <laughs> Dude, literally. Uh, we didn't even talk about this before the nope, episode. Nope. I just knew, knew, knew where you are going with it because I did the same thing. They're readily available. <laughs> you can catch one. They're bycatch when you're trapping for red tails or merlins or whatever the case may be. So I'll take it. It looks, it looks pretty calm. I'll take it home. Mm. It lasted like two or three months and I just did not. I mean, I was like 15 years old. I didn't have, I did not nearly have the skill to do anything with it. In my the, the 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 phrase that I had in my mind after that whole experience was it was like starting from scratch every single day yep. for three months. Fifty first dates, dude. Literally every single day. Yep. Like terror, fear, then it would eat a little bit, and then terror and fear would eat a little bit. Like I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um so I ended up getting it, you know, nice and nice and fit and letting it go. Um so then and then I just but then I I switched over from, you know, my red tail. I think I had a red tail that I kept um, from my apprenticeship, and then I f- I got a merlin. So I added another bird because I'm a general, so I can have two birds. <laughs> so I got a merlin, um, and I ended up doing really well with the merlin. Surprisingly, um, they're not where I live in New Jersey and slash New York. Um, it's not the easiest bird to fly. We don't have a lot of open ground. We're not really doing a waiting on style. It's more of a uh, I forgot the the technical term i should probably know but i call it like the timed flush like where basically you have the sparrows pinned down mm. and then you flip the lure bird comes through the air to the lure and at the last second you kick the bush mm-hmm. sparrows flush bird smokes it no chance mm. so i that's kind of like my falconry my uh my merlin falconry uh you know highlight that was pretty much what it was and we caught a bunch of stuff i mean you know, but it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the way it's supposed to be done, quote unquote, you know. But, and, and I would admit that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the most beautiful thing to watch. When the bird started getting very fit, um, after, you know, after we started actually hunting, the bird would start to wait on above me. Um, and I did actually use that to my advantage, um, which was a lot of fun to kind of like live that long wing kind of lifestyle in like a very cramped <laughs> northern new jersey you know life mm-hmm. um so it was fun and uh then primarily i flew uh you know merlins and uh and red tails for most of my falconry uh i don't want to say career career but uh that was pretty much the majority of it and then um i got a passage peregrine which was fun um bird trained down beautifully i had it you know flying free in like a few few weeks beautiful bird and then you know like they do and i'm man enough to admit it it just see ya just took off and it was a chase other falconers joined in on the chase and uh it was going dead south the entire chase for two days and then uh the signal uh, ended up dying and you know and i had good falconers with us trying to get it back shout out to eric and miguel and uh yeah it didn't it didn't end well, so but I had no no re- no real gear on it except for anklets, so she'll be fine. Um, but yeah, that that was pretty much like my my one bird that took off on me, where I was like, oh my god, you know, <laughs> just a shot to your ego, you know what I mean? Yeah, Especially well. a bird like a peregrine that's like they tame down so like like a parrot, and you're just feeding it with your fingers, and your wife is feeding it, and it's just so calm and docile, and then it's just like, you know. I flew it free a bunch of times, just so the audience knows, but it was, 
you know, so that's like, that's something that I would like in the future. I'd like to, you know, we're talking about goshawks and what gets you going and it gets you excited. And that's something that is like always eating at me that I didn't get to do anything with that bird that was, had so much potential inside of it. So it's kind of, I'll probably want to go back to that one day and remedy that and fly a passage peregrine and smoke some ducks with it and then just be like, okay, now I can, you know, now I can die in peace. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I feel the exact same way. And, uh, I've, I've even kind of just bypassed, I mean, after seeing, uh, some of these other guys hunt long wings and some of these other countries and stuff, like everything from these, these other passage peregrines and lanterns on some of these smaller birds and and uh, snipe and stuff that's probably so cool honestly man i i could care less if i see another duck slip i mean it's still really cool to see don't get me wrong i mean i love watching you know these big stoops and smoking ducks and everything out of these just giant however many hundred foot stoops and everything it's hard to beat but as far as pure action and just overall involvement I think that, you know, some of these other forms for me, I, I want to do that. Like the snipe, the snipe hawking and yeah. some of these other, you know, birds and stuff like with some of these other birds, I, I think that would be amazing. And that's really honestly what I would like to personally do with long wing eventually, whether that's with, you know, a Tearsall Prairie, kind of trying to repeat what I, what I lost after yeah. putting all that time, effort and energy into the one that, that I lost or, passage peregrine eventually it'll probably be more realistic whenever they uh open peregrines again and instead of having to do the special permits eventually yeah. uh it might be a little bit more realistic then i don't know i, I don't know i all i know is i'm fortunate enough to be able to say now that i've discovered something in like squirrel hawking and and some of this other stuff and, and of course with the dachshunds with the rabbits and everything that I'm cool now. Like, yeah. <laughs> like after, after like eight years in this, yeah. you know, cause I've still been in this a relatively short amount of time also. Yeah. And I finally kind of figured out what is acceptable for me to kind of keep me, you know, like my, 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 crank, my crank turned and, yeah, and yeah. you know, have, yeah. have me continually be excited in this stuff. That's realistic where I live. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that I've kind of gotten into this other realm of things. But before we get to that, though, I do want to go ahead. I know you said that you were in this whenever you were younger as a kid and everything. But I mean, I, I, I want to go ahead and before we move on to this other aspect and, and kind of why we're we're here a little bit and just go ahead and cover what exactly was the moment whenever you were a kid that, that got you into all this and what sparked your, your interest to want to pursue all this? It's, uh, it's one of those things that as we all discuss, uh, on this podcast many times, I can't even count. I listen to every episode. However, however many falconers on this podcast, they say that a falconer is not, you know, they, they're made, they're born that way. That's just what they do They're It's just a matter of how they discovered it. And, I always thought that was like kind of nonsense. Like, but like when I think about my own story, it's like, like it just was going to happen. Like I was obsessed with animals. I was obsessed with nature, birds of prey. And then I, uh, we were home. So just to go back, I was homeschooled as a kid. So my mom, who was like our teacher until she couldn't do it anymore. Then we had tutors and all kinds of stuff. 
she was always looking for new curriculums and new subjects to talk to us about. So she was constantly reading like these journals and like outdoor life for the Boy Scouts and Field and Stream magazine. And she ended up reading an article about a falconer. And it may have actually been Teddy Moritz in, I believe it was Field and Stream. One of those articles she read and we were on a nature walk, which we would do for, um, you know, our class. And she ended up, a red tail flew over, landed in a tree, was probably chasing a squirrel. It was the middle of like the summer. And we like all froze and we're watching it and just like staring at it. And like, we're talking about it. Um, and then my mom was like, you know, I read an article where you can actually get like a permit or something to have one of those and hunt with it, like cooperatively. And I'm like, I'm like 12 years old. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way that that's a real thing. Like, this is so fake, you know? I'm like, she's just like joking with me. So sure enough, it's a real thing. It's legal. Uh, you can get a permit in New Jersey to do it. But there's like a million steps you have to go through. And to be honest, without my mom, like kind of seeing the value in it and giving me something uh, like an outlet, I was very hyperactive. You know, like I probably, I don't know if I would have definitely pursued it eventually, but it was, she's like, okay, well, let's look into this. Let's see what's involved with it. You know, we had every other pet in the world, you know what I mean? <laughs> and that was kind of the first thing, like a lot of falconers is kind of like, it's cool to have, you know, and the fact that it will fly free and come back to you, which is like so cool. Um, you know, so it was kind of like that. And we just, we kept looking into it and going down the rabbit hole, took forever. There was no hashtag falconry back then. I don't even know if there was Facebook back then. It was like 2005 or six or something like that. No, it was 2005 because I, I got my license in like 2006. Um, so we're going through the rabbit hole. We called the state. The state is like, you know, like every good state agency does. They're trying to talk you out of it, telling <laughs> you it's too, uh, you know, it's it's not what you think. It's not just a pet bird. It's it's a lifestyle change. It's a lot of a commitment, fine, whatever. Um, and we're like, yeah, okay. No, we get it. We get it. So they say, okay, um, so they gave us a list of numbers back then. I, th I don't know if they do that now, but they used to they give us, they gave us a list of numbers of people in our area to call. They still do that. They still do that. Yeah. At least in some States which, they do, which is yeah. pretty crazy. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> they, they, so they gave us, they gave us Paul and Phil Aliyah's number. Um, and I think we called them and left a voicemail. Um, and then we were waiting for a response. Then we realized didn't realize, but we put two and two together that our neighbor, we lived in like a, you know, suburban area where like landscapers are everywhere. Our neighbor would shoot squirrels. You know, there were squirrels all over the place. He would shoot them, put them in his freezer. Everybody in the neighborhood knew because his landscaper fed them to his birds. Mm. So I walked over there and knocked on the door. I said, I said, Mr. I don't want to say his last name, but I said, is your landscaper a falconer? And he goes, yeah, I think that's what he does. I don't know. He just takes the squirrels. He feeds them to his birds. I said, okay. So he said, yeah, next time he's here cutting the grass on Friday, come come walk over Saturday. Me and my mom, we walked over. Mike Ottinger, who a lot of you may know, New York State Falconer, awesome dude, was my neighbor's landscaper. <laughs> and he's a falconer, a good one. So we started talking to him. He's the, if anybody knows Mike, he's the nicest guy on the face of the earth. He says, Come up to my house. I'll take you on a hunt. And I'm like, really? Sure enough, we get in the car. We drive about an hour and 20 minutes to New York, get to his house. We walk in the backyard. He lets us, 
you know, take pictures with his birds, stuff like that. And the way Mike's house is set up is like, you can walk into his backyard and there's like a little patch of woods. So he just opens up the door to his chambers and two Harris Hawks just fly past us. Like, and just, and in my mind, having like, having parrots, pet doves, lovebirds, song, these different pets that I had. I see the bird flying out of the door. I'm like, this thing's gone. I'm like, what are you doing? You let your bird go. Like, you know, cause like, I'm not realizing like that they're like trained. So then he just starts, he goes, all right, come on. And we just start walking through the woods. As we're walking through the woods, they're just, I just hear the bells and they're just following us. Then he starts like, you know, I thought he was like having like a heart attack or something. He's like pulling vines and yelling and kind of screaming and stuff. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? And then I see the birds chasing the squirrel. I'm like, oh my God. So I start running and I'm like trying to get involved. My mom's like falling over the place, like tripping on sticks and stuff. Cause she's, you know, not going to let her son like walk around some guy in the woods. So then, uh, so then I think they ended up catching a squirrel and it was just like the, like the most amazing experience. I think at one point the Tearsoul landed right next to me. And kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? Are you going to flush something or not? And then Mike whistled and it just took off. And at that moment, I was like, what the heck? Like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I am going to do this for the rest of my life. This is so freaking cool. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I was like, whatever I have to do, I, I'm going to do this. Like, I have to do this. And then uh, Paul and Phil Aaliyah actually got back to us. They said the same thing the state said, kind of like, yeah, listen, little kid, it's okay. Like, you know, it's it's a lot of commitment. It's not a pet. Like, and I'm like, no, no, I went out with Mr. Ottinger. Like, he showed me. Like, like I get it. This is what I want to do. And they're like, oh, all right, okay. So they take <laughs> us out, and uh, him and his brother, Paul and Phil, and we go on a hunt. Um, and it was a red-tailed hawk. It wasn't Harris Hawks. It was a red-tailed hawk. And uh, it was just, like, the coolest thing. And I just I – just, I saw what they were doing beating brush, just – to any young falconers listening out there, when you go on a hunt with a falconer, help beat the brush. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just like tip, like one-on-one and like listen life hack, listen and help beat brush and don't stand there and watch. So I, I saw them beating brush, pulling vines. I didn't even know what the heck was going on. I'm pulling brush, beating vines, trying to show them how serious I am. Going to hunt. It was super cool. Um, long story short, my mom was chit-chatting with Phil and Phil is a math teacher. I suck at math. Perfect. So he ended up becoming my math tutor and uh, I would go over his house once or twice a week to do math and I would see his birds. We deal with the birds. You know, I would help him clean the chambers. I would wash his car. I would spray down his mats. I'd throw food to his birds, like whatever I needed to do to, um, try to show this guy that like, I'm serious. I want to um, become a falconer. And like, I hear people all the time that message me and they're like, they like, nobody thinks to like, like I would literally like, I would clean his chambers. I would scrub down the stuff. I would feed his birds. I would mow his lawn. Like I would, like, I was just like, I, whatever he needs, I'm going to do it because I got, I want to be a falconer. And this is the guy that's going to sponsor me. And I have to make sure that I help him with his duties so he sees the value in me, kind of like getting a job. Like mm. you just, there's certain things you got to do. And um, so like long story short, like it was like a year or more later, uh, I took my test. I built my chambers. Uh, he still was kind of like not answering me if he wanted to sponsor me or not. <laughs> um, and then eventually, eventually he did. He signed the paperwork and I got my first bird and we were off to the races. 
at like 13 or 14 years old or something like that, you know, like crazy, no driver's license. I don't even think we're allowed to have cell phones. You know, my mom didn't let, like my older brother had a cell phone. Um, and it was just like a, you know, just a, an amazing experience that, you know, that I was able to, to start from such a young age, which is nice. And a lot of people don't have that. And I, I felt, I feel like kind of lucky or blessed to have, you know, to start at such a young age where it's kind of a lot of what goes on is just kind of second nature to me at this point, you know, not in a bragging way, just in a, it just is what it is. It's just second nature. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the younger you start in anything, the, be the better you're able yeah. to absorb it. That's right. I and mean, that's why I think it's great that a lot of these other countries teach two or three languages from like the yeah. kindergarten age on up. I so mean, important. Yeah. Do you think of how, how well off we would be in our country, you know, if we yeah. did the same same type of thing. My son's bilingual, so. Yeah, well, yeah. well, but yeah, <laughs> circumstances are just a little bit different in your household, though. Yeah. Uh, but, but no, man, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great, though. I mean, I, I think about that all the time, about how I wish that it probably would have been better, you know, or I would have liked to have gotten started earlier. But I think kind of what you said, I, I agree with kind of certain points of it. And, you know, not, I mean, not completely, but not, you know, totally disagreeing either in that I don't know if people truly are a hundred percent born to be in this or whatever the case is. But I do think though, that the people that 100% get into it, heart and soul, once they do get into it, I don't think that there's any doubt really, or any, um, I don't know. There, there's, there's no question that the ones that end up getting eat up, eaten up with it, it usually sticks with them for like eternity afterwards. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, whether or not anybody's really truly quote unquote, like meant to get into this or it's whatever, a, it's the same. I know. I, know I, I totally know. It's, <laughs> I, I, I totally get it. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not a hundred percent disagreeing with it, but I think that, those of us though that that do get into it and are at a point in their life at that point in time to be able to contribute everything that needs to be contributed to be able to do it there's no question that who's ate up with it and who's not right. <laughs> you yeah. know and and who you know consistently i i, I think that with anything there's a where, where there's like a will there's a way and correct uh, yeah you know so i mean however long people are able to to continue with it you know i always feel bad for the for the guys that that have to give it up at some point because of whatever's oh going God, on physically with them or it's like or my age, biggest fear in life literally. or whatever well i mean i don't want to live until i'm like 80 anyway yeah. you know i <laughs> right. I, I figure yeah. something's gonna happen by then anyway in my life with, with uh, how i burn yeah. the candle at both ends with all this stuff yeah, i told but, my wife if i die in the field i want her to chop me up into portions and feed me off to my birds for the course of a year. Yeah, that's cool. That's not morbid or she anything. Wasn't super on. Yeah. I'm that, sure that she probably wasn't. <laughs> now there's, I've heard variations of that same thing. I've heard variations that I'll oh, just put me on top of a hill and just uh, feed me to the buzzards or whatever. No, the I want turkey, my birds the turkey vultures. I want my birds to eat me. Well, I mean, think about it though. They're not going to be your birds very much longer after that. Any bird that I have in my possession at that time, I want them to feed off of my, I don't flesh. think you're going to know or you're going to care. <laughs> 
<laughs> whenever the time comes. So, <laughs> so I think whatever is going to happen with you is going to well, happen. I'm putting with it you. my will now. So well, I don't care. You, you can you can put it in writing however long you want, but I think uh, whatever she wants to happen after uh, after that happens, won't be it's up probably, to her at that point. <laughs> I think that That's you're probably funny. not going to have much of a say in it. <laughs> you're probably right afterwards. But you're probably right. But. Um, so yeah, I guess then <laughs> now that we've decided that you're not going to have any more control af- of your life after you're dead, um, we can go ahead and and kind of <laughs> yeah, I know shucks, right? Yeah. I think we can kind of uh, go ahead and and move on to the topic that has kind of brought us to this point, in that we need to we need to talk about these wiener dogs, some man, and um, we need to talk yeah. some about what what. I don't know, continues to motivate us to put up with these little guys. Yeah. Because sometimes they're a handful. They're a handful. (laughs) Uh, Some people don't understand why we have them. It becomes a a little bit of a contentious thing where one breed is better than another breed. And and I get all that. And I there's nothing more obnoxious, and I'm sure the audience will agree with me, than somebody who's like a zealot for like whatever it is that they're doing at yeah. the time. Well, yeah. Whether that's it's well, like, anything. Like even really. with me with yeah. my goshawks, like I'm like, it's probably annoying. Like this guy's yeah. obsessed with goshawks. It's like, okay, like we get it. You like yeah. goshawks. So like for, for me, okay. There's a, there's a hammer, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a scalpel, right? The hammer can smash different things. It could probably do similar things to what a scalpel could do, but the scalpel can do things that the hammer could never do. So that's not saying that my dog is better than anybody else's dog. It's just a fact of physics that my dog can do what most other dogs cannot do. So when I am on a hunt with somebody with a spaniel, it is a beautiful, majestic dog. And there's almost nothing more beautiful on the planet than watching a spaniel slink through the grass and the cover looking for a rabbit to flush for a goshawk shout out to seth but when that (laughs) rabbit goes down a hole or into a brush pile or underneath a shed or a shipping container you're on to the next rabbit Mm -hmm. that's where our hunt starts because now we reflush the rabbit and allow our bird to have another chance another slip at quarry so I run the dachshund. Number one, I was told that if I didn't get a dachshund, I wasn't going to get sponsored. So that's number one. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I got Abby, who's actually still alive, believe it or not. I got Abby when I was like 12 or 13 years old. Um, she's still kicking. She was a savage, great dog. That's probably why she's alive so long, because I ran the living crap out of her every single day. And she's so fit and so in shape that she's 18 years old and she's still alive. Um, so that's why I got a dachshund in the beginning. But seeing other people's dogs run, they, I mean, like nothing beats the nose of a beagle, right? I mean, there's like, if you want a rabbit dog, what's the ultimate rabbit dog? It's a beagle. Like, I think we could all agree a beagle is the ultimate rabbit dog. Ian Gregg just got one. Shout out Ian Gregg. But the the beagle can't go down a hole. The Vishla can't go down a hole. The 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 spaniel can't go down a hole. The only other dog that could probably go down a hole is some sort of a terrier. But a terrier, and this is what me and you know Tyler discussed, just in all transparency, I don't feel that a terrier is necessarily suited for falconry. They are a little bit 
more prey driven, more kill driven. And that's fine. And that's what they're for a certain purpose. And okay, some, some of them have a good nose. Some of them are bred for a better nose. And I'm sure it could be utilized in the sport of falconry properly. But there are a lot of downsides there to, to, a, to a terrier in the sport of falconry. And it usually results in a bird getting killed or, or a, even if the bird doesn't get killed. And I'm not talking trash about terriers. So everybody just relax. <laughs> Seriously, just relax. I, I love terriers. I think they're awesome. Like I go ratting with guys with terriers. Me and Sladen talk about terriers. Like they're cool dogs. They're awesome dogs. They're badass dogs. But you have to fight a little bit harder to get them under control in the field or in a working environment. The dachshund is, is, is the size of a terrier, but has the mindset of a hound where their nose, where they don't think my dogs and other people's dogs that I see, dachshunds, they don't think with their eyes like a, like a terrier does. They're not running and looking. They're pinning their nose to the ground and they're trying to understand what just happened, where the rabbit went, and they're using their nose to answer the question. So that's why the dachshund for me is the dog that I want. I can kick a bush with my foot and get a rabbit to run out of it. I don't need some fancy dog to go in there and flush the rabbit out. But when a rabbit is in a hole or under a brush pile, you ain't getting it out. There's nothing, there's nothing you're going to do besides get an excavator to get it out of the hole. So what am I doing? Am I putting a ferret in? We're not allowed to use ferrets. If we were allowed to use ferrets, maybe I'd use a ferret. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. So the next, the next best, best thing is using a dachshund, in my opinion. So I'm not a zealot. I'm not a dachshund crazed you know, person that thinks they're the best dog for everybody. If you're out west hunting sagebrush, you really don't probably need one right? When it snows, if you're up in Canada and you get 10 foot of snow, like is the dachshund short legs going to, going to cause a setback to the performance? Probably. But if it's there and a rabbit goes in a hole and you have it with you, it's going to pop it out of the hole and your bird's going to probably have a better chance of catching it. So it's a surgical instrument that we use. And especially in the area that I live and where a lot of people, unfortunately are moving, not even moving, you could stay right where you are the urban sprawl is going to spread to you and eventually you're going to have no fields left to hawk. So you're going to have to go behind Home Depot, everyone who judges me, you're going to have to go behind Home Depot <laughs> and you're going to have to catch a squirrel in the little strip of measly woods that's left there with 10, 15, 20 squirrels in it because they eat the garbage or, you know, or this, you know, the field behind Target where there's a nice, beautiful field that they're getting ready to turn into a, a you know, a TJ Maxx. So I use the dachshunds because there are a lot of crevices and places for the rabbits to hide and it's not economical to, to beat. You can't, I mean, you could beat the brush as much as you want. You'll have two or three chances at quarry and then it'll be in a hole and then you got to pack up and go to the next field. So with the dachshund, you can continue to reflush. Some people may say that that's not sporting to continue to reflush something. If it makes it to a hole, leave it there. That's fine. I watched some of my, my, my boys out in, in Europe, they cast their goshawk off after ducks, the ducks flush put back in, bird lands in the tree, they immediately try to get the bird back on their glove to then reset the slip to start over. That's the traditional way to catch ducks with a goshawk from the fist. I have a wife. I have a child. I have a business. I'm a very busy guy. I don't have time to be that, uh, what's the word? To be that like professional and traditional. Once the bird leaves my glove, the hunt is on. We're catching it at the end. 
whatever means necessary, we're catching it. That's kind of my philosophy. And that's the beauty of falconry, like we discussed earlier. Each person has their own opinion. There's probably people out there that are like pulling their hair out right now listening to me say that. But that's just that's just my life. And that's and that's okay, I think, to to do it that way. If you want to call your bird back to the glove in the midst of a chase to then reset, that's completely fine. And that's the traditional historical way to do it. So for me, getting game in the bag and seeing my bird successful is the number one goal, like we discussed earlier. So reflushing the quarry is the goal. And the dachshund can reflush the quarry better than most other dog breeds use in falconry. And that's my personal opinion. And I'm sure. not a zealot. I'm not a crazy person. I just I just think that they uh I just think that they're very good at that. And it's a pretty much a fact that they're very good at that. So Well, and you're also speaking from your personal circumstances right, and yeah. your situation where you're living right now, your terrain, your hunting grounds, everything circumstantial for you is what you're saying a dachshund perfectly fits for your needs. Right. And that totally makes sense because like you said live out west you know i mean yeah it's not going to be practical to have you know it's a dachshund yeah. <laughs> yeah, out west per se trying to kick up jackrabbits or whatever no you're gonna you're gonna want sight hounds you're gonna want salukis or whatever the case you know the different strokes different folks different tools in the toolbox for wherever you're at and whatever practical application that you're that you're doing I totally get it and 100%. and that's a big reason why and you'll you'll hear this at some point also in other conversations that I've had recently with other people who I haven't published yet. But same same type of conversation. I mean, I started off with two vigilists, and I still have my two vigilists. I love them to death. I wish I would have had more birds that would have tolerated them, or the practical application would have been there for right. those types of birds over the last four or five years. For my one vigil in particular, that actually is trained and she knows what what she's doing and stuff but the fact of the matter is where i'm at it's the same kind of deal i i if i would have had it to do all over again love my dogs to death um but i would have probably just started off with dachshunds because for that very reason Um, i didn't know early on well enough that I needed to think those two or three extra steps ahead and realize that the size of fields that I have, the type of fields that I have, the type of terrain that I have is going to be better suited for a smaller dog. that's not going to burn it up near as quick and be able to get in and out of these different things that. It's also also less conspicuous too. Yeah. When you got a guy walking through the field with a little tiny dog, you're like, I'm just walking my little cute dog. See some guy with this big, beautiful pointer. They're like, what's this guy doing out there? He's hunting or something, you know? But yeah, so, I mean, now that we've kind of covered the reasoning and and the utility aspect of things, I mean, what other aspects of the breed, though, really attracted you to them? Because yes, they definitely are a particular tool for a particular purpose. But I know for me, I was really attracted to the, the personality of them. I don't know, maybe it's just a German thing because, <laughs> I mean, I have a, a lot of German heritage in my background, and I think that's why my wife relates to them so well, too, yeah. because she's a stubborn German also. Um, all you Germans out there, settle down, Austrian. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, there's so many Germans in my life that I, that I love, including my two wiener dogs, but 
that being said, I mean, they can be so stubborn. And I know by the end of the series, people may be tired of me asking these same core questions that I want to ask people, but I don't care. I, I want to ask them because I'm kind of taking almost a personal poll with people on, on some of these different things, because I'm curious what other people's experiences have been. I know Teddy's take on it. And I know, you know, like guys like Tyler's take on it and some other people, but what's been your take so far on a couple of things. One, what do you think is the best age? Like how many weeks old to get one and start, you know, bringing it into your home household, whatever, basically bring it home from, from the breeder or mom. And number two, what have you done to mitigate the fact that they're almost impossible to purely potty train? And it's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I those are two things that I'm going to probably continually ask through this series that people may or may not get tired of, but I think these are a couple of very important things for people that are looking into this breed. It's very important for them to hear, Correct. to know what they're getting into. For the first part of your question, I will say that the time of age that the dog should be taken into the home of whoever it's going to should be decided by the breeder and the breeder should be able to know the proper time. I will say, however, Teddy gave me Ginger, the current dog I'm running right now. She, she pulled her from the litter slightly earlier than normal, like eight weeks, because she was just out of just like bullying and just causing issues in the, cause she's just, a, uh, okay. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that I remember Teddy said just a little earlier, but she's got to go. She's a little, she, she needs to be started. You know, you got to start training her and entering her. And, um, so it should really be up to the breeder in my personal opinion. I, uh, I've only had four, uh, three litters in my life. So this one, current one that I have now on the ground is my third litter. So I'm not an expert by any means. Um, I would say that, it should, you should yield to the breeder on that, on that subject for each individual dog and where it's going, because if it's going to a, it should never go to a pet keeper, like, you know, a regular home. I think that the lines that we're breeding, yeah, assuming it's coming from a purely breeding right, it, line. Sh it should yeah. be bred for working sure, and that's what they enjoy and that's what they love. Um, so it, it would be the breeder that would say when they would prefer for the, the dog to be taken. That would be my personal suggestion. Now to the second part. Dude, I've been trying to figure it out for 18 years. How to figure it out. So the way that we do it, because my <laughs> wife won't tolerate any of that. There's uh, Ginger is very good in the house. Crate training like most other dogs, right? In the crate, out to pee. In the crate, out to pee. In the crate, out to pee. So she will go to the door and scratch. She almost never has an accident. She only has an accident if like no one's home for like multiple hours throughout the day. But if that's the case, we just, we isolate her off in like we have a laundry room. So she has her bed, her crate, you know, her water and food. And she has, that's her area. And she almost never pees in that area. She almost always waits until somebody comes home. And then if you don't let her out, like right when you come in, there's going to be an accident. Mm -hmm. So it's just like most other dogs, mm -hmm. but they do seem to have an issue with the house training. And most, from what I hear, most little dogs do, smaller dogs. I've heard that as well. Yeah. It's a smaller breed thing. I but think so. Smaller bladder. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that... From what I've heard, though, they don't have like other guys, for example, like the Terrier guys and stuff. I know other guys that have yachts and Deckers and stuff that have never really had an issue with yeah. the house breaking 
smaller breeds also, whatever the case, I know other people that have had rat terriers that they really haven't had issues either. Yeah. I don't, I just, like I said, I like consulting other guys that have had dachshunds for a while on this topic because good Lord in heaven, it was a, it was a wake up call for me. It's a pain in the neck. Yeah. And, sometimes, it, you know, and, and, and it's, there's nothing more frustrating in the world whenever you're doing like, or you're, the best thing I've been able to try to do to mitigate all this is I kind of do almost a timing thing as opposed to, yeah. you know, cause you can let them out yeah, and they will need to go, but they don't care. They will come right back inside and drop a load. They don't yeah, care. I've seen that sometimes. Yeah. Where it's like kind of like at their discretion. So they'll be yeah. outside all day and then you let them in and then they're like, oh, I got to go. Yeah. And they hey, just I'm just going to go here. Yeah. They, they don't they just care. Go. So it's like, yeah, you're almost better off just like isolating the dog somewhere in your home, mm-hmm. like a kitchen, a laundry room, a guest room, not a guest room, but like somewhere that's, you know, not out of the way. Like our house, we have like kind of an open concept smaller house and then like the laundry room's like right there so we just put yeah. the gate so she's like right there and after she pees she's in the house she's playing with us she's running around with my son playing but after like an hour or two it's like all right she goes back in there mm. you know or she goes back outside and she's outside mm. most of the time anyway so okay yeah and i know like for mine i've noticed too like hades which is my uh, black and tan. He's a year older than my other one. I've noticed too, and I don't know if this is just, I think a large part of it too is timing throughout the day. And cause I try and take mine out every couple hours too, yeah. to try and just get, at least give them the, Oh, you know, the chance for the light bulb to go off and be like, oh, okay, yeah. I guess I'll just, you know, go ahead and go out here, you know? Yeah. And sometimes I have to wait them out to like, you almost have to out stubborn them. Because watching them outside in the yard until they go yes, to bring them back in. Exactly. Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, yeah, because like Hades, especially my black and tan, he will sit there and he'll just, he'll sit there and he'll stare at you. He'll yeah. just stare up at you with those cute little eyes and, <laughs> and just that little face and everything. Yeah. Be like, we're going back inside, right? I'm like, nope, nope. Not yeah. until you go, go yeah. potty, you know? And we'll sit out there for like 15 minutes sometimes. And finally he'll just do his back and forth thing and he'll squat and he'll go, yeah. but it's it, but he squats. Well, he'll, yeah, I mean, he'll, he? well, to, to take a dump. Oh, just take a dump. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I thought your dog sits when he pees. <laughs> no. like, dude, what kind of dog is that? Dude, you you're drinking a white claw over here. So you, you, dude, just, the you, audience doesn't need to know. No, this. well, they're, they know now <laughs> you shut your face over there. Um, but That's yeah, <laughs> but, but so yeah, he, um, I mean, he's a lot more stubborn about it than Horace, the younger one, who's my dapple. He's a lot more predictable. Like, especially first thing in the morning, yeah. go out. He does both, right? I mean, pretty consistently, pretty quick. Yeah. And he's- Each dog mo- is different, I've noticed yeah, it, as well. Yeah, it's very much so. And that's why it's so frustrating. Because sometimes they almost, there would be some weird odd days sometimes where they switch roles. And it's it's like yeah. they almost coordinate and plan this with each other. They definitely yeah. have accidents. And this is my, I want to say my fifth dachshund over the years. Mm-hmm. My fifth dachshund over the years. And Ginger by far is the most uh, responsive and less likely to have accidents out of all of the ones that I've had throughout the years. Common denominator, well, not necessarily the common denominator, but the fact, well, the common denominator is that I'm not home, I'm not with my family anymore. This dog I got with, you know, with my wife and myself, and I am the one that's disciplining and not allowing certain things to slide. Before, it was my mom was home all day while I was at work. 
you know, and she's kind of like babying the dog and, oh, it's an accident. Uh. And then when I get mad and discipline, the dog's kind of like, oh, this guy's crazy. So it's like Ginger knows if she pees on the ground, her face is going in it. She's getting smacked and she's going in her crate. So like there's like a level of, um, you know, the dog doesn't want to upset the, the household by having an accident. So she will go to the door and scratch. Each dog is different. Some dogs, some of these dachshunds do not care. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Other of the, uh, other ones are like emotional, like they just want to, like they want to be with you. They want to serve you. Like it's, so each one's different. That's what I've noticed. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you're always going to have exceptions because I mean, dogs, birds, Correct. every, yeah. it doesn't matter right. what, every, every individual soul, every individual animal human whatever is going to have personality different. differences yeah. for sure 100 well i mean like i said that's that answers my question that basically these things are just <laughs> yeah they, they yeah they just don't just uh, mitigate it just put up a fence just if you're gonna if you're planning to get one or you see the value in having one just have an area in your home where you you isolate the dog to that area when you're not home for multiple hours and then let the dog in and out yeah. when you are home also do the crate training like you're supposed to do with every other yeah. dog breed in the and world. And we do that a lot. I mean, yeah. we, we we crate train all of our yeah, dogs. Some guys I know, they just keep them in the crate while they're at, not at work, but like when they're out, they just mm. put them in the crate. And then when they get home, they let them out. Mm. I have seen guys do that as well. So, yeah. yeah I mean, like I said, every, every person is probably going to have a, a Teddy subtle... just keeps them outside, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, well, I think she's got like a, a Cadillac, um, a Cadillac kennel. That yeah, oh yeah, I think oh yeah. I would probably consider living in from the way she described it. Oh yeah. You know, it's it's nice climate controlled and the whole nine yards yeah. and, and everything else. Yeah. And so her her husband put the the end to having yeah, too many yeah, dogs nothing, in the house yeah, and now yeah. everything's outside. Now. Exactly. And yeah. they do fine. I know yeah. a bunch of guys that keep their dachshunds outside all year round. Well they're hounds. I mean they're 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 gonna be all right. Yeah. I mean they're they're not like Vigilas or other breeds that that need that constant like interior you know, human contact type of thing. I think Ginger would have a heart attack if I wasn't with her 24 seven. She is, <laughs> this dog is extremely emotional. And like, that's the other thing about these dogs. And even my wife said it, and she's not a hunter, not a dog person. Like she didn't even want the dog. She's like, this dog will literally rip a rabbit out of a hole and like rip it to pieces. And then like, be like fast asleep upside down under the covers on the couch while we're watching a movie mm -hmm. like a little like a little puppy dog mm -hmm. like it's she's like i don't like they're like they just shut off when they come mm -hmm. in the house they just shut off like some dog and i and that and i don't like i like i said earlier i don't have a lot of experience with other working dog breeds but like from what i hear from people like some of these breeds they just don't stop like they're yeah. just always like hyper and running like when the dachshund comes in the house they're like okay we're done Time to time to crawl under the covers and go to sleep, you know, and hang out with the family. Yeah, mine mine have their moments, right. but mine are also still very young too. Right. So and they're male too. I only run female. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing too is is we ended up having to do the 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 belly band deal. You know, yeah. Yeah. We started doing yeah. belly bands to to mitigate all of the yeah. marking and stuff. That's too. why I don't run males. Yeah, I and can't, I can't tolerate. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's gotten to the point now though where I mean, I'm I'm totally fine. Like, I don't care about you know, even I don't worry about urine anymore. Like I just, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we keep a constant stock of, uh, of maxi pads laying around, yeah. line, line those in with, with belly bands. And that's, that's completely solved that yeah. problem. Yeah. And we just have a, a bunch of, of ones that we change out we wash them, you know, and 
and it's it's all good. But yeah. it's just the occasional nugget you find after, <laughs> and that's and that's the other funny thing too is is you'll they'll, sometimes they'll go outside. And, you know, they'll both be, all right, good. We're, we're good to go for at least, you know, five hours or whatever. Yeah. And come back inside. You go around the corner, come back around, and there's another nugget laying in there. And you're just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously. But, I mean, I guess that's just some of the sacrifices that we make in, in putting up with these with these little guys. Yep. They take a little bit more of a, a little bit more maintenance in certain areas and less in others. Because they are a smaller dog, which yeah. is nice. Because, like, they take it's, up n- almost no room. No, yeah. The footprint's next to none. Plus, the uh, the veterinarian aspect of it. I food, mean, yeah, food. It's and, just super low. They yeah. eat, like, n- like, next to nothing. It's like... I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we could sit here and talk about all the negatives all day long. But the fact of the matter is, is at least while I'm living where I'm living, which is probably going to be forever, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. I don't think I'll ever go to back to a larger breed yeah. after after dealing with with the dachshunds because it's just there's so many more aspects of life that is convenient with having a smaller breed dog like this. Yeah. Not just with the hunting aspect of things, but just life in general, yeah. I think. And they're they're so much easier to deal with on the road and stuff too. At least that's what I found. Oh, also. yeah. Like, but. it's just like the crate for a bigger dog. It like takes up half your truck. It's like, yeah. you know, a dachshund's like a, you could stack two of them on top of each other. It's still not as big as one crate for a bigger dog. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of pros. There's also a few cons, like with the house training and stuff like that, which I think is kind of, mit- you know, you can mitigate it with, with certain steps that just stop it from happening. Because my wife mm-hmm. won't tolerate it. So I have, yeah. so it's like, that was like the agreement. If we, if we, you know, if we bring the dogs in the house, they have to be isolated to a certain area unless they peed outside, then they can be, you know, amongst the family and then right back into the, the space. So, um, but I will say like, I went, I went hawking last year, um, with Ian Gregg and he had a hound mix, uh, from Mike Radford, who's awesome. Um, and that dog has a nose on it and it pushed those rabbits out and around and all the way back but then they hold up. Mm. Ginger popped it out and the hawk smoked it. It was like the perfect scenario. So sometimes I do fantasize about getting a bigger dog to just like cover more ground. Cause like I said, I'm a busy guy. So it would be nice to have a dog that could just like work a whole field in like 10 minutes. The dachshunds, they're small. I mean, they're just a smaller dog. They take a little bit more time, but their nose is, I mean, it's, it's a, it's phenomenal, especially though it depends who you're, who you're purchasing from the line that you're getting from. Cause some people, just so everybody knows, there's some people in the country that are breeding for the size of their dog mm-hmm. for the whole work, right? Yeah. Which is fine. We need that. We need smaller dogs for whole work. There's other people breeding for just the nose, like that nose of that dog. We want more of that. And we're isolating that gene to get the best nose out of the dog. But sometimes it results in a slightly larger dog. So Ginger, who people may think is small, she's not as small as I'd like. She, her percentage of whole success went from literally like 75, 80% to like down to like 60% or like 55% towards the, towards the end. Cause she was a puppy when I entered her last year. So now she's like filling out and her chest is getting a little bit more broad. And I noticed that her success in the hole started to go down a little bit. So a little dog is, 
is pretty pretty valuable. And I mean, if if you're hawking in an area where there's like groundhog holes and brush piles and very thick cover, there's not many dogs that are better suited for that than the dachshunds. So this is not like a dachshund, you know, you know, campaign here. I'm just saying <laughs> that I run them and there's a reason why I run them and there's a reason why so many people in the country run them and they're exploding in popularity and people that are breeding them can't even breed them fast enough to get them to falconers because they are extremely useful. Yeah. I mean, the litter sizes are small and, it's you know, like, it's, yeah, we had three. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah, I think especially for, for lowly dirt hawkers like ourselves, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it, it's hard to find a dog that has all of the, uh, I guess the Swiss army knife attributes that you really want, I guess. Yeah. Especially, you know, that, that little toothpick that nobody really uses that you can <laughs> right. pop out of it sometimes, you know, right. it's just that sometimes you just never know there's that effort. Yeah. They, they prove their usefulness sometimes in ways that you really wouldn't expect. Yeah. But uh, yeah, some of them will actually tree, tree squirrels, ginger tree squirrels, which yeah. is the, yeah. like I said, I had five or six and, and ginger is the only one that like will actively on a consistent basis, tree squirrels. And mm -hmm. that's like a new thing for me. I'm like, I didn't even realize that like, you know, I didn't even know they could do that really. Yeah. So she'll be just walking in the woods and she'll just start barking up a tree mm -hmm. and i'm like all right let's go let's go and then i just start pulling the vine i'm like oh sure enough there's a squirrel up there and mm -hmm. then the hunt is on so it's like I, they can adapt to different things well yeah and i think if, if you incorporate that in their training early on right. along yes. with the rabbit sending and everything else they they will learn to look up i mean mine have oh, already yeah. started to do it a little bit too yeah. because i was purposefully actually tying a squirrel to a string and tossing it up over yeah. a limb and, and doing idea. that sometimes too and and they go they go nuts you know, they, they they dig it you know so i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of different things i, I think that uh, in, in a lot of ways as owners of of these animals i think sometimes we put our own limits sometimes on what these dogs and birds can really do right and we kind of have it when once again kind of getting in our own head a little bit right. about what they're supposed to do or what they can or can't do sometimes it we can almost un like unintentionally limit what is is done sometimes with yeah. with these dogs and birds but fair enough yeah but i don't know man um is there anything else that you want to add uh, that as far as because i mean this is kind of a dachshund inspired series that that we're doing here is there anything else that you want to that you want to add about them that before we kind of move on to the next thing or i would just say that um like i said earlier whatever whatever dog that you're running that you're passionate about if you're hunting rabbits or even squirrels it's a great addition to any team and i think that there's a lot of value there and i will say that i only went i went hawking out last year and out of the couple people that came out with me i think like four or five people got dogs this year after seeing my dog run not not just i'm not talking about like ginger's a good dog she's bred by you know teddy moritz from a really good line so she's a, an exceptional dog. So it's not, I'm not taking any of the credit for it. But what I'm saying is when you see the rabbit pop out of the hole, run her down the hedgerow, the bird misses by an inch, she goes down another hole, dog tracks it, goes right down that hole, shoots out of another hole, bird chases it again and catches it. You go, holy crap, like we could just keep this hunt going until we catch what we're here to catch. The hunt doesn't have to end here. You know what I mean? So that's like, they are, like I said, they're a, a surgical instrument to flush rabbits and they are the most efficient for the job 
and you know, and that's what that's why so many people are running them, and they're great in the ha- they're great in the house, not necessarily potty training wise, <laughs> but in terms of personality. You know, my mm-hmm. son grabs Ginger by her ears and drags her across the room, and she doesn't even care. You know, she's just nibbling his his feet. Yeah. Like there's no aggression. Like this is it's a it's a good all around dog. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean there are some too that you can get that will be a little bit more reclusive yeah, and yes yeah, so abby and the first one i had she was yeah. like a wild animal like she would go hide in the closet and just <laughs> stay in the closet all night and like not come out until yeah. like people left like she's like oh, she was, some of them are like that and then other ones are just like they want to play and have fun and then sure slaughter rabbits in the field yeah. you know no it's funny because until i took his throne away in the throne room uh, Horace, our dapple, kind of got to the point where he didn't want to really be around everybody else for a little bit. Right. So he actually, like, I had a couple of uh, storage containers stacked on each other next to all the dog crates in my quote unquote falconry room in right. the basement where the dogs are now kept. And he made a little nest, like, he made a little yeah. uh, dachshund throne. And took, he made his he, own. He drug a couple blankets on top of these uh, freaking, uh, like, Tupperware crates or whatever. <laughs> and said, uh, screw this guy. I'm making my own throne. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what he did, man. He took, he took like two or three blankets up there and he drug them on top of these, of these storage containers and made himself a little nest right up there. Yeah. And that's anytime I didn't know where he was, I'd that's always go. At. And he was always on top of this until I screwed it up for him and took it away and, and used him for something else. Right, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's funny, man, they, they're, their personalities They're It's hard to find dogs with a more unique yeah. personality set, I think. And, um, yeah, you know, are, are they, they're just so persistent too until they get what they want. They, uh, yeah, yeah, that's another thing I hear from people is like, oh, they're so small, like, don't they get tired? Like, I've never seen any of my dogs give up on a hunt ever, like, no. where they're tired. I had the like, opposite, I've never seen, yeah, they, they don't, they do not stop. Like, I've yeah. never seen them, them stop, even in snow over their head where they're just jumping to go through mm-hmm. the snow. I've never seen them just like stop and like, oh, like, no, I, no I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. They're just, they want to go all day. That's well, it. and that's how. That's how I knew that I needed to start kind of cracking down some more on e-collar training and stuff. E-collar is important, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. You got to yeah. have an e-collar with these dogs. Yeah. Because they some get people to the don't point where they do it. not listen. Some people don't agree with it. Some people, their style, like we were talking about earlier about styles. Some people like to cut the dogs loose and do traditional houndsmanship and just let the dogs work out the field and figure it out on their own. I have that type of uh, personality myself, but in a certain area where there's cars, there's potential predators, coyotes, like I can't just let it. And and if they're flushing game 150 yards away from us, that's not helping us. So (laughs) sometimes the e-collar is extremely useful and you really only need to use it a couple times. And then the vibrate mode is more than sufficient for for these dogs. But I think not running, because I had no, I was a little kid, you know, I had no money for telemetry, no money for e-collar. I didn't know what an e-collar was until like two years ago. So like, (laughs) so like when I put one on ginger, like, oh my God, like the dog is like a robot now. Like I don't even have to shock or nothing. Just hit that vibrate or hit the tone and just boom, she's coming flying through the woods. Where are you? Where are you? Get in this hole. Boom, in the hole, rabbit's out the other side, done. Yep. It's yeah. just, it makes life so much easier. Yeah, and, and I'll tell a cautionary story about the the same, those big, very lines, basically. So, it's a running joke with one of my other hunting buddies that Horace has the ability to stop semis. Oh, my God. Yeah, you can see where this is going. Oh, my God. So, basically, I 
didn't have to worry about using any kind of correction with my dogs until pretty much the end of this past season because Hades, especially, he didn't really have the confidence. He didn't leave my heels for the majority of the right. season. Yeah. But slowly but surely, after working with him, gradually more, get more, more confidence, getting yeah, more confident. Yeah. Man, by the end of the season, I could not make them stop. Right. I could not make them stop. So there's a spot that a buddy of mine has, and we were kind of hunting in this ditch line next to some apartments and across from this ditch or this kind of ditch area or whatever. It's a parking lot in a business that really isn't used very much or, you know, but, but they do occasionally get trucks that go through there. Right. So I'm trying to recall them back and Hades actually listened, but Horace, he was on a scent or a trail and he wasn't really listening. And he went out in the middle of the parking lot and luckily this dude driving this big freaking semi saw him run out in the middle. I mean, there was still distance between him and, right. and, and the dog and he stopped and got out and I was able to get down to him, you know, and get him back and stuff. But that was the, the come to Jesus moment oh for God. me. Yeah. And cause I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't like close, close, but it was close enough yeah, <laughs> to be really uncomfort, uncomfortable for any dog. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then there's another, a spot that's kind of adjacent to that where we were, were continually running rabbits in and out of. And so they were both just going, Hades and Horace both were just going at it, you know, would, would get rabbits kind of running in and out of this little patch just past that ditch line. And it was time to go. And I could not get them to stop. Yeah. And I finally had to reach down and grab them both when they were right at the edge of that, but they kept going in and out, in and out. I couldn't get them to come back. Right. And I was like, okay, it's, it's time now. Yeah. But, but it, the reason I'm, I'm using this as a cautionary tale. Number one is to warn people. Yes, you will eventually need to have some sort of corrective measure for this particular breed. But number two, don't be so hardcore about instigating it too soon either no because you can stifle the dogs you can totally stifle the dog's personality by using it too much and ginger like i said is a killer anybody who's seen the videos of her working cover and pulling rabbits out of holes she's a killer but she's sensitive and i almost used it too much where she was like kind of like when it was on her Mm -hmm. she was like kind of like oh i don't want to go anywhere where i'm not supposed to really go and kind of like holding back a little bit it's just like I'm sure like a lot of these dog guys that are great, like uh, you know, like like Slayton and like some of these other guys that like are really into like the dog's behavior and how they work. It's just a tool. The e-collar is a tool to communicate with the dog when you can't physically communicate with the dog. Sure. So if they're running a deer or a coyote or whatever the case may be, you can hit that vibrate button, no response, then you can hit the shock button. Yep, Boom. Yep. That yeah. is wrong. We do not run deer. We do not run coyotes. Come back here right now. Yeah. It's a communication uh, pathway with the bird. And falconry, as we all know, is all about communication. We're building bridges with our birds through communication with food. We're building bridges with our dogs between praise and discipline. The e-collar is just another method. It's not abusive. It's not hurting the dog. It's correcting them in a moment that needs to be corrected. And the correction can save their life in some form or another one day. Sure. And like I said... I was fortunate, like I told a couple of people about, you know, this particular situation afterwards and they were like, well, 
I'm really glad to hear that you waited until it was an issue to start implementing the correction because right. otherwise you could have ruined confidence for and sure. hundred percent. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, just a cautionary tale, food for thought, anybody listening can train their dogs however the hell they want. It's right. whatever. Just our but, opinions here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all that being said, I'm glad that I did things in the order that I did them. I, it's one of the, I don't know, <laughs> one of the things I've done right anyway, I guess, because they're, they're both showing a lot of potential and I can't wait to, you know, to run them again this next season and, and yeah. see how they continue to progress and grow. But, uh, but yeah, man, I guess um, we can go ahead and move on to the next thing and uh, transition into story time and uh, story time. yeah. And guess get a couple of your, your favorite stories and, uh, and then kind of come close to wrapping this pretty soon. Okay. So you were forewarned about it though. You've had time to think about a couple of your, your favorite stories. So. <sighs> I know. And it's such a, like, if you're in the field all the time, there's so many fun things that happen, memorable things, um, intense things. Um, obviously losing a bird in the field is not necessarily a fun thing that you want to relive it, relive. But, um, I would say my, one of my favorite stories that I will never forget. And whenever this topic is uh, presented to me, the first story that comes to my mind, it may not be the most exciting or, you know, explosive and crazy, but the first mallard duck that I ever caught was with a red tail hawk and it was in a, a snowstorm and the snow was like a foot deep. And I actually had Abby, my first dachshund with me and we flushed, we were, I was, we were hawking rabbits and I saw the ducks in this stream and the red tail just started making passes. This is an intermute red tail. This is, you know, she's probably five years old or so making passes at these mallards just because, you know, red tails will do that sometimes, you know, they're game for anything. So all of them kept blowing out, kept blowing out, kept blowing out. Then there was one that was left and she landed on the far side of the stream. There is a down tree, a big, you know, huge oak tree, like 20 inches in diameter, 25 inches in diameter, laying across with a bunch of brush. The duck tucked itself up underneath there. The bird is on the far side of the stream back into the woods. I was throwing, I was making snowballs and throwing them, <laughs> throwing them in the water, trying to get them to move. But ginger, you know, not ginger, but Abby was going crazy, barking. Like she didn't really even know what was going on. She just knew something was happening. I was trying to flush something and she was trying to see how she could help. And I'm throwing these snowballs and finally the thing, I just threw it, it like hit it and it just blew up out of the, and this is like in a snowstorm, like beautiful, cloudy, white, deep snow. And as this thing is just like, just helicoptering straight up out of this deep, um, you know, big stream through this brush, the red tail saw it before the duck even saw it because the duck was trying to clear all the brush to then level out and fly away. So as it's coming up, this red tail is big, 1,550 gram, beautiful red tail, just boom, just smokes this <laughs> mallard and just, just carries it to the opposite side that it was on and lands in the snow and then just, you know, just starts plucking it and killing it. And, uh, then me and ginger, I, I like, I, crawled across the log and I remember Ginger fell in the water and that was the memorable part because it was like this snow, this really dark, if anybody's been out in the field in the snow, 
the water looks extra dark for some reason. And she's just like, you see this little red, you know, red little rat just swimming <laughs> in the water against the current as I'm trying to cross and not slip in myself. And then she gets out the other side, I get the other side. And then it was the first duck, you know, I ever caught with a red tail. And I just thought it was just such an amazing moment, just peace and quiet in the snow, in the snow. And uh, I dispatched the duck and then I just let the, the red tail just crop up all she wanted. And it was just like, a, and I just, we just sat there together and just all three of, <laughs> all three of us in the field in the snow and just watched the bird just eat and just, it was yeah. just a beautiful moment. Listen to, the, listen to the water run in the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can picture it. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how it was. It was nice. beautiful. It was a really nice moment. Nice. Yeah, man. No, it's uh, the first type of game that you catch almost anything. It's hard to forget. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Whether yeah. it's a cottontail or a jackrabbit or a or a duck, it's yeah. it's hard to it's hard to forget the the first. Yeah, those but, moments get into you and you yeah. can't get them out forever. It's amazing. Well, that's the reason why we put up with all this crap, I guess. Right? Seriously, the highest of the highs, <laughs> the lowest of the lows, and there's a reason why we keep coming back for more because it's uh, either we're drug addicts, right, mm -hmm. or we just like adrenaline the sport, addicts, or the sport is just so beautiful that it just you know it just keeps us keeps us going. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and we, we need to get your, your piece of advice too. And then we can go ahead and call it good if you don't have any other stories to share. But uh, yeah, fair enough. You know, you've been through a decent amount of stuff in this in this sport, been in it for a long time. So I know you've probably got something that, that is noteworthy, at least from your perspective to share. Yeah. So my piece of advice and the, the piece of advice is coming from a personal, um, a personal place where, as we all know, right, when you become a general – you instantly know everything, right? You're the best. <laughs> then you you live in that kind of a mental place for about three years, right? Then you get a Cooper's Hawk. You ruin it. You're an <laughs> idiot. You realize, ah, all right, I got a lot to learn. Then you get a red tail. You start catching game with, you know, and then you go through like this progression where you see with a lot of people, they're apprentices, they're learning. Then they become a general. They know everything. Then they go through. I've been on the sport for 18 years. Just listen. My advice to everybody listening, no matter what your age is, just listen to what somebody has to say. And instead of arguing with them because your sponsor told you something, try to receive the information and try to plug it into, you know, a calculator to understand if it's valid or not and be like, you know, that kind of makes sense. Maybe I can implement that. Like, I had a, a situation with a goshawk that was extremely aggressive and I'm getting all kinds of advice from every, every place. Connor Bucalo said, leave the bird alone and step away from them. Oh, but the squirrel's going to bite. The squirrel is not going to bite her because she knows that squirrels bite. She's not going to sit there and hold it while it bites her. Goshawks don't do that. It's going to let go. Leave her alone. Stop running in and jamming your hands in there. I'm like, but that's not what you have to run in and help. Stop running in and helping. You're not helping by running in. Leave the bird alone. That's why she keeps footing you and trying to grab you. Sit back. And while you're sitting back, take a quail out of your bag and start plucking the feathers off of the quail. Dead quail for PETA. Just, it's dead. <laughs> pluck, pluck it and make it extremely obvious and show the bird that it's in your hand 20 feet away. No, but you don't want the bird to see the food in your hand. Just listen to what I'm saying. So the bird 20 feet away from me, who's mantling like a psychopath, immediately starts to flatten out and be like, what is this? What do you have over there? What do you have over there? When you see her start to flatten out, start flicking tidbits on the, on the forest floor to her. 
let her see that you're not a threat to her food. Sure enough, like a, like a freaking movie, the bird hops off of the squirrel, which she would kill in seconds anyway, strangling them. And she ran like a, like a turkey on the ground and collected the tidbits until she got to my feet where I had a pile of tidbits. And then she would immediately start to eat the tidbits. I would walk around her, pick up the dead squirrel and put it in my bag. Never in my life would I think that that would work. But I lowered my ego for a second and took advice from somebody else who me and Connor have been in the sport for a long time, the same exact amount of time, basically. And I received the information and I internalized it and it made my bird better and it made me better. So sometimes people have something to say that may hurt your feelings, you know, in the moment, but sometimes it's valid. So I would say that we're not special. <laughs> we're catching stuff with bird. We're bird trainers at the end of the day. We're nerds, basically, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing hardcore or cool about us, really. So just if somebody has a track record of success and they have something that they want to tell you, just maybe listen. You know, that's, that's my, and I, and that's, I'm speaking to myself. I'm not speaking to you guys in judgment, in judgment. I'm speaking to myself being in the sport for almost 20 years, have some humility and listen to what somebody has to say. If your sponsor is saying one thing, respect your sponsor. If you're an apprentice, I'll say that right now. If you're an apprentice, respect your sponsor and don't argue with your sponsor about the way that they want you to train your bird. You do what your sponsor says. End of discussion. That's my opinion. After you become a general, now you can do all the fancy stuff, okay? <laughs> right? Now you can go on the forums and listen. When your sponsor is trying to teach you and you're not listening to your sponsor and taking advice from people on the internet, that's going to do nothing but drive your sponsor up a wall <laughs> and you're probably just going to screw up the bird anyway. Just do what your sponsor says and then when you become a general, then you could take advice from other people. But outside of that, you may think you know everything. You may have been in the sport a long time. You may have had success with many birds. Sometimes people have something valid to say and maybe stop and listen to them. That's my advice. Sure. And it's advice to myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and also don't ask for advice if you're not willing to take it. That's right. Yeah. Don't look for an answer that you're looking for. Don't ask a question (laughs) that you, you want validation from the person that you're asking the question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you really want, if you really want to ask a, an opinion and get a take on something, be prepared that it might not be the answer that you want to hear. Correct. Yeah, it may be the answer that you really need to need hear. Need to hear, correct. But, yeah. you know, and, and it also at the same time too, yeah, like you, exactly like you were saying, I mean, you follow your sponsor's advice first and foremost. And yeah, it, even if it may not make sense to you at the time, I mean, that sponsor is probably thinking of things that you're not even thinking of as far as the, the logic or reasoning. I mean, they're, they're trying to rule out things. And if you keep throwing other weird... X right. factors or monkey wrenches into their, yeah, <laughs> in, into their system. Told me this, and this yeah. guy told me that, and he's really like, good. It's like, yeah, but I'm the one that's here and I'm the one that's helping you. My name is on your permit and yes. I'm responsible for you. So exactly. please just listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. And if I, if I can't go through this step-by-step, you know, kind of trial and error issue, trying to help figure this particular bird out, then I'm not going to be able to, if you keep doing all this crap to, 100%. <laughs> you know, to, 100%. yeah, to throw wrenches into the whole system. But well, that's that's great stuff, man. Like I said, I'm I think that um once again, even if people hear repeats or whatever of some of these things, there's a reason why I've kind of made this a, a staple in how I end these episodes because some things you just can't hear enough and you know, like I said, you, the, the words of wisdom sometimes can't be repeated often enough for for certain things. So yeah. so I appreciate you sharing and and I want to say thank you again for helping to 
to make this series happen. I hope that this is going to be kind of something new for people a little bit and, you know, something else uh, from a different angle that they can get something out of listening to these. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I don't know what I would do if it wasn't for, for guys like yourself that are willing to go out of your way to help organize some of these types of things, because they probably just wouldn't get done. And Well, I see the value in it and so many other people see the value in what you're doing and spreading different messages, different people's stories. Some people, some people's stories that have been on this podcast may no longer be with us very shortly. And now that now their story and their message has a chance to live on from their own words. And I think that that's just a super valuable thing. And that's kind of what I've been doing to sell this whole thing to all the people that we're trying to get on this series, um, just because of it's, it's a valuable thing to the community. Regardless if you want to run dachshunds or not, doesn't matter. We're just, I'm just sharing, you know, a personal experience from a specific style of falconry that is done in our area. Sure. I mean, there's got to be a catalyst for for anything to come together. And for us in this series, it was these little dogs that for whatever reason, just inspire us to, to want to continue on and, and uh, having them be part of our, our lives. But, you know, it's not just about the dogs, of course, it's about everything else too and we want to make sure to cover all those bases as well but but yeah man i think we can go ahead and and call this good unless you've got anything else to to share or add but i think we've we've done a pretty good job and and kind of covering the gamut to to i mean so to speak i guess so yeah no it was great it was great being on and i appreciate you having me on i feel honored to be here and thank you for uh for highlighting our style of falconry yeah man no it's all good and i look forward to the rest of the week and uh and having a good time and getting to know everybody and like i said this community for some of its faults sometimes is is one of the best communities that's that's uh that's i know enriched my life and many others so i'm, I'm happy to be able to contribute what what little i i can back and and like i said thank you again for your support and and for the help so my pleasure all right man well let's uh let's go meet up with some of the other yahoos here let's do it all right man all right